I'm John Smith, one of your deacons. Pastor Jim will be back in the pulpit next Sunday. He's going to talk on a new series uh, called The Names of God, and you will want to be here for that. Friday was Veterans Day. I want to take a moment to recognize all of the men and women who have ever served in the military, some of whom may have put their life at risk, all of whom made significant sacrifices to defend our flag and the freedoms for which it stands for. You've heard it said that freedom isn't free. It's true. And the freedoms that we now enjoy, we enjoy because of the risks taken and the sacrifices made by those who have served in the armed services. If you have ever served in the military, would you please stand? Thank you for your service. I want to recognize another group of people as well. I want to recognize the spouses and the children of those who have served. You made a sacrifice too. And so if you're the spouse or a child of one who has served, would you please stand? Thank you for your part in serving our country. Well, the last time I spoke, I talked about faith in the storm. You remember that uh, uh, when Jesus was walking on the water in the midst of a storm, and the disciples are in the boat, and they see Jesus, and Peter sees Jesus, and he wants to walk on the water too? Well, in setting up that scene, I described uh, where Jesus had been up on the mountain the night before while he had sent the disciples to sail across the Sea of Galilee. Does anybody remember what Jesus was doing up on the mountain? Just say it out loud. Pray. Pray. Exactly. And maybe, maybe by the looks of things, to pray all night. Well, the other day I was uh, uh, driving into work and I thought, you know, I've got a 45-minute commute into work. I'll catch up on some prayer. I'll redeem the time. So I turned off the radio and I started praying about some things that were on my heart. Come up on some construction and I'm thinking, man. How long have we been working on Highway 7? (laughs) It's got to be at least two years. Oh, no. We're going to be single-laning. I'm going to be late for work. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about construction and being late for work rather than praying. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to bed at night thinking, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray for someone before I go to sleep. Now, who who, who was it I was going to pray for? I've even, I've even been in my room with my eyes closed so I don't get distracted by something in my field of vision, praying for one of my kids saying, Lord, help this child of mine to walk with you and make right decisions. Right. Is this the weekend they come home from college? I should go ask Jana. Do I have any plans for this weekend? I need to go look at the calendar. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about weekend plans and whatever he's doing this weekend rather than praying. Has that ever happened to you? Have you been praying and all of a sudden, your mind, you're off thinking about something else? It was like, I was just having a conversation with God and now I'm thinking about yard work or what's for dinner. 
Well, it's my opinion based on personal experience and anecdotal evidence uh, that prayer is one of the two toughest disciplines we have as followers of Jesus. The other one would be evangelism. But that's a topic for another day. So as you can guess by now, uh, I believe the key to battle, spiritual battle, is prayer. Our theme verse for this morning is Mark 1.35. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. Father, thank you for the wonderful privilege of being able to speak with you directly through prayer. I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to your word on the topic of prayer and your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the course of my Christian life, I haven't heard that many sermons on prayer. Have you? I know some of you are thinking, I can't remember what the sermon was about last week. And you're asking me how many times I heard a sermon on prayer? Hey, I once heard that someone say, don't worry if your bucket has holes in it. As long as you keep pouring water in it, at least you'll have a clean bucket. That's my strategy. Now, I'm, I'm not saying we don't pray. We pray. But often it's just a brief cursory prayer like saying grace before a meal or asking God's blessing on our time like what I just did. Or maybe it's a prayer in response to an emergency, which could be anything defined as a, you know, being in D.C., Lord, I could use a parking spot right now. <laughs> or someone sending you a text message to pray for someone who's ill. But the mission of RBC is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. Right there in our mission statement are the two toughest disciplines as the follower of Jesus. Make him known is evangelism, Right? How many of us feel really good about evangelism? It's probably something we could all get better at. Just having an intentful, purposeful, spiritual conversation with another individual that helps them move along in their journey to answer the question we all must answer. What shall I do about Jesus? The other part of our mission statement and our first priority is to know Jesus Christ. Well, how do you get to know somebody? You can read about them. I'm holding up my phone because, interestingly enough, you can read the Bible, which is God's word about himself, on your phone. Or if you have the hard copy, that's good too. You can also get to know Jesus by fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters over the word of God. I can't tell you how many times I've seen Jesus in a new way, because one of the men in the men's group I'm in shared a perspective on Jesus that I had never, ever considered. It's one of the reasons why I think fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters is so important. Well, the other way to get to know someone is to actually talk with them. And unfortunately, this isn't so good when it comes to getting to know God. I mean, as much as I would like to, I can't hit my phone and speed dial God. I can't send him a text message. I can't FaceTime God. I can't check out God's Instagram or Snapchat. 
Wouldn't that be cool if God had an Instagram or Snapchat? <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't know. Because my kids said, Dad, you can't have an Instagram or Snapchat because that would be weird. <laughs> but God doesn't have social media. So in order for us to talk with God, I actually have to pray. So why is that so hard to do? I mean really talk with God, not some rote, cursory, routine set of words we always say, but something more meaningful than that, something more intimate, something more face-to-face. -face. The last sermon I, I gave, I took a brief detour on prayer. I mentioned this quote by Samuel Chadwick, who was one of the preachers responsible for the revival in England in the late 1800s. He said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. The devil fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless works, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. What do you notice about that quote? I'll tell you what I see from that quote. Mr. Chadwick recognizes that we are in a spiritual battle. Ladies and gentlemen, we are opposed. There is a battle going on. In fact, we are in the midst of an epic spiritual war that has been going on a long time. And the enemy doesn't want you to pray. He's afraid of it. Revelation 12, 7 through 9 gives us a glimpse into this battle. Then war broke out in heaven. Did you hear what I just said? War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Angels waging war in heaven. Have you thought about what, the, what that looks like? What does it look like for a heavenly angel to fight against a demon and have that demon thrown out of heaven? The good news is, Satan and his demons were thrown out of heaven. And the bad news is, he's down here on earth. Let's continue reading in Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, earth and sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. The enemy lost the battle in heaven, and now he's doing battle with us here on earth. I'm a military guy. I spent 25 years in the military. It doesn't take a military expert to know that one of the first uh, objectives in any battle is to take out the leader. 
If you take out the leader, it's likely that confusion will arise in the ranks and files of the soldiers. And followed quickly by taking out the leader is to cut the lines of communication, cut the telegraph wire, smash the radio equipment, bomb the command and control center. It's standard procedure. And Satan does the same thing. He tried to overthrow God in heaven. That didn't work out. He tried to take out his son Jesus on earth, and that didn't work out. And now he's trying to take out the leaders down here on earth, which is one of the reasons why we should pray so much for the leaders of our church. And he's going to try to cut the lines of communication among us as believers, and he's particularly our line of communication with God. You see, Satan doesn't want you to communicate with God. He doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to to get face-to-face with God. He doesn't want you to hear what we would call in the military the commander's intent. And he especially doesn't want a group of us praying because he knows when that happens, God responds. Let's take a look at a couple of verses on that. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name... If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray. My people pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. In Acts chapter 2, Luke writes about the activities of the apostles and the disciples after Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Later in chapter 12, following Peter's miraculous release from the prison, we read in verse 12 of Acts chapter 12, when he, Peter, realized this, that he was miraculously freed from prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Many were praying. What do you think they were praying for? I, I think one of the things they were praying for was that Peter would be freed. And the next thing you know, Peter's knocking on the door. I had a friend of mine who once said, God answers quickly sometimes. It's true. But with the spiritual battle going on all around us, why don't we act like we're in a battle? Why do we seem oblivious? Why do we seem asleep? Why aren't we praying like we're in a life and death struggle with the enemy? Sound the clacks and man the battle stations. All hands on deck. I'll tell you my opinion on why we don't act like we're in a battle. Because the enemy has deceived the vast majority of us into thinking he's not really there. And so we hear this thought in our mind, there's no spiritual battle going on. That's nonsense. What's going on are your inadequacies and failures. Let's face it. You don't have what it takes. And no one notices you. And those are all lies from the father of lies. But when we believe them, we get discouraged and start focusing on ourselves and stop talking with God. Or if we do talk with God, it falls along the lines of this temptation that looks something like this. Well, God, if you really loved me, 
this, you fill in the blank, would not be happening in my life right now. Why does Satan tell us lies? Because that's his character. That's what it says in John 8:44. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And as the father of lies, Satan is very good at telling lies. He's very good at psychological warfare. If he can keep us from praying, from being in relationship with one another, from being in relationship with God, from tapping into the power of God, he can keep us out of the battle. It's one less thing he has to worry about. It reminds me of Wormtongue in The Lord of the Rings. How many of you are familiar with Wormtongue, uh, the novel J.R. Tolkien wrote called Lord of the Rings? In it, there's a character aptly named Wormtongue who deceives King Theoden to keep him weak and ineffective and vulnerable. And Gandalf, one of the heroes in the Lord of the Rings, talks to King Theoden about the tactics of Wormtongue. And it's an accurate description of the tactics that Satan uses against us. In the second book of the Lord of the Rings called The Two Towers, Gandalf tells the king, and ever Wormtongue's whispering was in your ears, poisoning your thought, chilling your heart, weakening your limbs while others watched and could do nothing for your will was in his keeping. Worm tongue played dangerously, always seeking to delay you, to prevent your full strength from being gathered. He was crafty, dulling men's weariness or working on their fears as served the occasion. Well, Gandalf was able to wake King Theoden up and get him into the fight. But what will it take to wake us up and get us into the fight? Into a vibrant relationship with one another and with God. And what do I mean when I say we're asleep in the battle? An epic war, way beyond anything that J.R. Tolkien ever wrote or George Lucas of Star Wars fame ever wrote. I mean, if we felt like we were in a battle, we'd be taking action to band together, to defend ourselves, our families, our children, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to take a stand for what we believe in, not only to hold our ground, but to advance God's kingdom. Preach it. <laughs> but instead, we don't even realize that we're getting shelled by the enemy. And our strength and our opportunities are slowly slipping away. I think most of us don't really see the spiritual attack. Paul warned us. He said in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Really? When's the last time you or a group of you felt like you were wrestling with spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places? To be honest, I'm not sure I ever felt that way. Have you ever wrestled with somebody? I mean, really got after it. I took wrestling as a physical, part of a physical fitness course once. It's hard. There are times when 
you feel like you're straining every muscle in your body. Ask someone who's wrestled before. Do we have any of the men in the audience who wrestled in high school? Raise your hand. Ask them what it feels like to wrestle somebody. I can remember crying out to God for help. But I don't think I've ever felt like I was wrestling with spiritual forces of wickedness. Maybe this message is for me. I say be careful to point a finger at somebody. Just point three at yourself. So the enemy's strategy must be very effective. We don't think he's really there. Or at least we don't act like it. But you know, we live in Northern Virginia. Life's busy here. Got the job, the commute, long days at work. Got to spend time with the family. Got to spend time with the kids. Got to keep up with the household chores. Of course, we need our personal time so that we can chill out. Got to eat. Got to sleep. There's not enough time to do everything. There's certainly not enough time to do serious prayer. Here's the reality. As E.M. Bounds, a preacher in the late 1800s said, spiritual work is taxing work, and men are loath to do it. Praying, true praying, costs an outlay of serious attention and time, which flesh and blood do not relish. But over the years, not everybody felt that way. Martin Luther, who started the Reformation, once said, I have so much to do today, and they are so important that a minimum of three hours in prayer is necessary to get it done. What? Three hours in prayer. I don't think that way. Oh, I've got so much to do today, and it's so important that I think I'm going to take three hours out of my day to pray to make sure that it gets done. Time must have been different back in Luther's day. <laughs> Life had to be simpler. Less things to worry about, I'm sure. Or maybe Luther really understood what was important and what was necessary to do in order to make sure that the important got done. You see, another great tactic by the enemy is to influence us to devote our time and energy on things that are urgent rather than things that are important. In fact, anytime you sit down to do something important, spiritually important, I can almost guarantee you that the enemy is going to cause something to pop up. You're going to get a phone call. You're going to get a text message. The doorbell is going to ring. You're going to get an email. You can remember the games on television. Or one of your kids is going to come up and say, can you fix the Blu-ray player so we can watch a movie? Or maybe you were going to get up early and pray like what Jesus did in our theme verse, Mark 135. And then that alarm goes off and you reach over, as you're reaching over to turn the alarm off, this thought goes through your mind. Oh, you're tired. You could use some more sleep. You can pray tomorrow. And so 
prayer becomes just another one of the urgent issues that the enemy uses to keep you, or at least delay you, from talking to the king and the commander. By the way, how many of you have heard the Christian music artist Keith Green? It's kind of my generation or so. Yeah, there's some, not so many. He wrote a song once called Asleep in the Light. One of the lines in the chorus goes like this. Jesus rose from the dead. But you, you can't even get out of bed. Well, if you actually get past these diversions and make it to the battlefield and start to pray, stand by for a new form of attack. You see, I think prayer is one of the major pieces of that wrestling that Paul talked about in Ephesians 6. Wrestling. It's hand-to-hand combat. And in hand-to-hand combat, you have to respond. Even Satan. And so he's going to attempt to jam the signal. He's going to try to tempt you to think about some issue at work or some issue with your kids or any of the number of to-dos on your to-do list. In fact, some of you right now might be experiencing a form of attack by the enemy. God's trying to speak to you about the issue of prayer in your life or the lack of it. And instead of active listening to discern what God is laying on your heart, you're turning your ear to listen to the temptation of the enemy. Think about kickoff or whether you should stop by Costco on the way home. Resist the enemy. Stay focused. Ask yourself, what is God saying to me? Well, some of you may be thinking, I don't know how to pray. I'm not very good at it. I don't do it very often. And I especially don't do it in front of other people. Well, the first order in getting better at prayer is to realize the need to pray. In order to do that, you have to see the threat. And that's what I've been talking about for so long. Once you see the threat, prayer isn't very difficult. It's simply putting in words to God what's on your heart. Here are a few tips. Number one, pick a time to pray. Jesus prayed in the morning, as I read in our theme, verse Mark 135. Let's read it again. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. Jesus also prayed in the middle of the day. Luke 5, 15 through 16, great multitudes were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness, but he himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Looks like in the midst of a busy day, Jesus made time to pray. Hmm. I wonder where we saw that before. Jesus also prayed at night, like I talked about last time, Matthew 14, 23. After he sent the multitudes away, he went to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening... He was there all alone. So pick a time that works for you. Morning, noon, evening. It's all good. Number two, set aside an amount of time to pray. 
I understand three hours might be a bit steep. But what about 15 minutes? Do you know what percentage of your day 15 minutes is? 1%. Do the math yourself. 1% of your day to talk to the Lord, God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who loved you so much and who wants to be in relationship with you so much that he gave his son to die for you. We ought to be able to crack 1%. It's 15 minutes too much at one time to pray. Well, then how about this? What about five minutes in the morning? Five minutes around the middle of the day and five minutes in the evening. Whatever. It's just an idea. Come up with a plan. A preacher by the name of R.A. Torrey said, How little time the average Christian spends in prayer. We are too busy to pray. And so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity But we accomplish little. The power of God is lacking in our lives and in our work. We have not because we ask not. Number three, get on a regular schedule for prayer, both daily and weekly. Here's a weekly schedule that I try and use. On Mondays, in-depth for each family member. On Tuesdays, friends who live nearby. On Wednesdays, friends who live far away. On Thursdays, for organizations that we give to. Of course, we give to Reston Bible. We also give to a couple of other organizations like Focus on the Family and Samaritan's Purse. And I pray for them on Thursdays as well. On Friday, in depth again, on each family member. Number four, pray for your family. I was talking to a friend once about our kids. I said, I think the greatest thing that I've ever done for our kids is to pray for them. Here's a prayer that I've been praying for my wife and kids for the last 30 years or so with modifications here and there. It's a little lengthy. Bear with me. Lord, help Jenna and I to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Help us to love each other unconditionally to give up our expectations and to live in love, joy, and service. Yes, Lord, help us to truly love one another and not merely care for one another. Give us wisdom in raising our kids that we might impart to them godly values. I pray, Father, that our kids would love you and honor you. I ask, Lord, that you would help us teach our kids that they might grow in wisdom and stature. I ask, Lord, that our kids would recognize the difference between good and evil and choose good and put evil far from them. I pray that when they are guilty, they would be caught by someone in authority over them who can do something about it and that they would never feel like they can get away with doing that which is wrong. I pray that they would respect those in authority over them and be responsible in their interpersonal relationships. I pray that you would bring godly people across their paths, godly peers and godly mentors who will help them keep their eyes on you and their hearts toward home. 
I pray, Father, that you would save them for just the right spouse and keep them from the wrong spouse. I pray, Father, that they and their spouse or future spouse would both love you and love and cherish one another. I ask that you would keep them both pure until marriage and pure in marriage. I ask, Father, that from now until your return, that every descendant of Jenna and I and their spouse would know you as Lord and Savior. Let not one of them fail to know you as Lord and Savior. I ask, Lord, that you would protect our kids from the attacks of the enemy, protect them physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually from the attacks of the enemy. I pray that you would keep them from wrong people and wrong places and keep wrong people and wrong places from finding their way into our kids' lives. I ask that you would put your hedge of thorns around them, your hands over and under them, your angels at their side. I also ask, Lord, that you would put your hedge of thorns around our home, your hands over and under our home, and your angels at every corner of our house and at every entrance, every window, every door. Number five, pray offensively and defensively. Offensive prayer is trying to roll back the enemy. Things like bringing people to Jesus that our leaders would have wisdom, our elders would have discernment, that our pastors would speak the word of God powerfully. Defensive prayer is defending against the attack of the enemy. Keep us safe from evil and harm. Keep us from temptation, lust, pride, a critical spirit. Keep wrong people from our kids. Number six, here's an acronym to help ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. It's my experience, though, that when we pray, we get this backwards and way out of balance. We're all about supplication, a little bit about Thanksgiving, and not much confession or adoration. So I recommend that you start your prayer with just worshiping God. In the military, when you go in to see the boss, you report in. It's a way of honoring the boss. You don't bust open the door and say, Colonel, I need the following. <laughs> so here's some ideas on adoration. If you need ideas on how to worship God, flip through Revelation and note how the angels worship God. If you want to praise God, go to Psalms. If you want to appreciate God, go to the first couple chapters of Genesis where he writes the story of creation. Confession is also an important part of prayer. The Bible says in Isaiah that our sins have caused a separation between us and our God so that he does not hear. I can just see this situation. Maybe you've had it too. We've got some blatant sin in our life and we're going to God in prayer and not addressing it up front and we hear this voice in our head, God saying to us, before you start asking me for things, don't you have something to tell me? Confession. We have a lot to be thankful for. You should be able to rattle off a whole lot of things right off the top of your head. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Being thankful takes our eyes off of our abilities and turns them to focus on God's blessings. I think we got supplication down. 
But for those of you who struggle with this area, it's okay to ask. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Did you notice how God reminds us to be thankful when we're asking for lifting up our requests? Number seven, persevere in prayer. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. Right after that, he tells them the story of the man who went to go see his neighbor at midnight because he had a visitor and didn't have anything to set before him. So he was asking his neighbor for bread, for bread and his, his neighbor said, beat it, I've already gone to bed. But because of his persistence, he got all that he needed. Remember that verse that says, ask and it will be given to you? It's Matthew 7, 7. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. The Amplified Bible has a more literal translation from the Greek. It reads, ask, and keep on asking, and you shall receive. Seek, and keep on seeking, and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door shall be open to you. This is how Jesus said to pray. George Muller was the director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England in the 19th century. He cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. He once said, The great power is to never give up until the answer comes. The great fault of the children of God is they do not continue in prayer. They do not continue to pray. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. Reminds me of a t-shirt I once saw that had push written across it in big letters. And right underneath it, Pray until something happens. Let me summarize and then close. We're in a battle with spiritual forces of wickedness. We need to act like we're in a battle. The key to battle is prayer. Pick a time to pray. Set aside an amount of time to pray. Get on a regular schedule. Pray for your family. Pray offensively and defensively. Remember acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Persevere in prayer. For those of you who have never put your trust in Jesus, your first responsibility is to answer the question that I posed at the very beginning. What shall I do about Jesus? If you will but ask him, Jesus is ready to save you from the wrath of a holy God, whose wrath we have rightly earned because of our many transgressions against him. But because of his great love for you, he gave up his son to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sins, to take your death sentence. But you have to receive and take that gift that's extended out to you. And you do that through prayer.
Let me close with another quote from E.M. Bounds. The goal of prayer is the ear of God. A goal that can only be reached by patient and continued and continuous waiting upon Him, pouring out our heart to Him and permitting Him to speak to us. Only by so doing can we expect to know Him. And as we come to know Him better, we shall spend more time in His presence and find that presence a constant and ever-increasing delight. Lord Jesus, you're holy. There is none like you. The heavens and the earth declare your glory. We praise you for your faithfulness, your steadfast love. Forgive us for our lack of faith and our lack of trust in you. Forgive us for our focus on ourselves and for our pride. We're sorry for all the times we've doubted your goodness. We're grateful that you've been so patient with us and how you have revealed yourself to us through Jesus and your word and how you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us on our journey. Help us now to be men and women of prayer who spend time with you and who truly know you and are but earthen vessels displaying your power and grace so that you are the one to receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.